welcome to Soundcheck Flicks. Second season? Second season. Nice. Second 25 episodes. We've done 25. This is episode 26. Seriously? It is. We've been sitting here. Most of them been here under the watchful eye of Jesus and the disciples. Excited to be here again for another amazing show. Celebrating 35 years of the Casbah. Couple nights with the dragons and Uncle Joe's big old driver. Amazing. We do have to shout out our friend Otto Valentine that we've lost since we last did a podcast. Yeah, he was our lead sound engineer. Just an amazing human being. Um, I love him. He was part of the Music Box and Magnolia families also. A lot of people around town knew him. He had worked at Brick by Brick and Soda Bar and a number of other places. And he was just a wonderful human being. And and, uh, we recently did our best of episode. And at the end of that episode, that was the last time I saw him. He uh, came in and as Otto would do, he'd walk up and love you. And he'd tell you, I love you. And he would hug you. He did that every time he saw you. So I know, you know, a lot of times when somebody passes away, you hear someone say, I wish I could just tell him I loved him one more time. Well, with Otto, that's, that was the way it always was. Yeah. He always greeted you that way. And so, you know, it's, it, you know, it hurts. It hurts a lot. He was really an important part of the, not just our family, but the entire music scene. Toured the world with As I Lay Dying. On um, Earth. Amazing. Uh, several other metal bands. Sound man, just person, genuine guy. Yeah. In his short life, he got to see a lot of the world and. And he got to influence a lot of people and he was really loved in this community. And, and it's a big blow for us. It's, you know, it's, it's a happy month for us being the 35th, but I think a lot of us are carrying a lot of hurt right now. That last time that I saw him, he was doing sound for the creepy creeps. And I'm always blown away by what the sound men choose to play in between sure. sets. And it was one of the best sets of music I'd, I'd heard <laughs> on the sound system here yeah. from one of the soundmen ever that, that night in particular. I'm like, what is he playing now? He was a big Queens of the Stone Age fan, and he got to see him a couple of weeks before he passed. So, you know, there's that. Um, just a, it's, it's heartbreaking. It, it's nothing we're going to get over right away. He was a really important part of our team. So this is out today, tonight, actually at the yeah. There We were going to be closed, but there is a benefit for Otto Valentine and, and family uh, headlined by the Creep Creeps and Schizophonics. So if you're listening to this today. Yeah, we got to help out his mama. We got to, you know, she she needs us. His his girlfriend, Annalise, is, you know, a wonderful person. There's just some really great people around him that are hurting right now. On a positive note, there are many shows still to enjoy here at the Casbah for the 35th anniversary. But check the website because quite a few are sold out. Uh, Dragons this weekend, phenomenal. It's so great to see Kenny up there playing. who's also in the Bronx and will be here at the end of the month with his beautiful flowing locks just flying around the stage it was ridiculous lucy mays lucy gonzalez mays how are you our guest today i'm really really great um what a what an amazing introduction you two have been doing this for quite a while haven't you it's very very professional heartfelt and uh yes um my brother otto (laughs) very yeah very painful so so thank you for, uh, thank everybody, his family, for, for helping him out, uh, Blood and other other family, right? Um, and thank you for having me because really, and, oh wait, and speaking of Kenny, he owes me those Japanese shears. He told me they will make my hair look just as good as his. So there, it's been recorded. Okay, now, now we, we can get down to, to, to the order of the day, yes. You've chosen the 1982 Ridley Scott film Blade Runner. I have. It's very um, near and dear to my my heart. It left a profound, uh, can I say, I was 12 years old when I saw this in the movie theater. So I know there was quite a cue uh, forming uh, to be part of this. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for you allowing me to, to, share, to share it with you. Yeah, nobody picked uh, Blade Runner yet. Uh, uh, we, we tracked her down like yeah. Deckard. I mean, we, we've been looking <laughs> to get her in here for a few months, and uh, Blade Runner was popular. There's a couple other artists that were wanting to do this Paul one. Paul Jenkins did. Well, yeah, and uh, uh, John Madsen. There was, there was oh, okay. a Jonathan Madsen, yeah, there, from Madsen too. There was a there was a couple other people that were into this film, but we were like, she's the queen, she gets the full rank. So we'll have to That's... do the uh, Ryan Gosling version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll punish them and make them do 2049. Oh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I actually oh, like 2049. Now. I heard it was so. very good. Yeah, I I'm actually like, I like 49. I think it's pretty good. You just um, have a thing for Ryan Gosling. That's why doesn't? you love Barbie Who so much. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I, Who doesn't? I mean, from La La Land to Ken, I mean, the guy's just killing it. How can you not Mickey love Mouse Ryan Club? Gosling? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. We'll forget about the notebook. 
<laughs> oh no 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 no! One of the greatest romance stories I know, I'm ever. Just I no. love Rachel McAdams. <laughs> but Blade Runner, let's get that story. Uh, when we're kids, so, we see these movies. They have an indelible. Imp they make these impressions on us. They definitely do. And um, being raised in a very very Catholic family, um, priests, Mother Superior. Uh, chief of press for the archbishop in Mexico, you know, it's, uh, it's ingrained, <laughs> um, which at the time uh, that I got to see the movie, like I said, I, I went with my siblings, but my uncle took us. And it's not something that my parents, neither of my parents would have taken us to see. Um, but, you know, I had the, uh, the single, the bachelor uncle who was uh, like, hey, let's go do something fun today. Let's go see this movie I've been wanting to see for a long time. And so here we go. Plaza Bonita at the mall, Chula Vista, 12 years old. And I remember sitting through the entire movie and I know it's the theatrical version and I know there's, you know, split or uh, split emotions and uh, yeah, very vocal, vocal folks out there. But I have to say that um, I, I came out of it as though I had just come out of like, the best Catholic mass ever. Like, <laughs> I was like, wow, you actually said something that meant something to me that was applicable. Like it made me feel something and it planted a seed. And I did watch the um, final cut. Yes. Um, and I'm aware that there were multiple versions of it, right? Uh, the director's cut wasn't really the director's cut. It was um, a digital archivist working uh, with Ridley Scott to a certain extent, but didn't have his complete attention, right? Right. So I did get to see it, and it was a very sophisticated, and I think in my opinion, probably what it should have been to begin with, right? Right. So it was really beautiful, yeah. There are the four different versions. There's the US 82 theatrical original, mm -hmm. which has narration, like a, a hard-boiled detective, gumshoe, 40s, 50s-style detective thing. And then there's also the one you just spoke of. There's a director's cut, but it's not really a director's cut. It was put out by the right. studio in the early 90s. And then there was a work print one that came out. And they included like Planet of the Apes music or yeah. something. And, and you know, though everybody was split on those two versions. But in 2007, the final cut came out. Okay. Ridley Scott was thoroughly involved in that one. And... Yeah, I, I watched that one three times preparing for this one, and then I watched the original just to get the narrated version. I, I think the final cut is so superior. There's a Comic-Con version of the film. It there says is. that showed in 1982 really? at Comic-Con yeah. in San Diego that they list as one of the versions. There is, yeah. I, I saw that in the listings different. too, but I, I didn't even feel like mentioning it because only the people at that Comic-Con saw it. So. Yeah, in 1982 here But in the San final Diego. cut is takes strips out the narration uh, the Blu-ray looks phenomenal. It just looks beautiful. Um, and frankly, you know, this is once again, we've talked about the hand-holding hand for American audiences, whether it was Brazil or Little Shop of Horrors. You know, you have to change it because the test screening audiences, right. they need their handheld. They can't <laughs> figure it out. People for all of us. Yeah, and I just, watching the final cut, it just kind of struck me like, come on, people. Like, this isn't hard. They're visually telling you everything. Right. Why do you have to have that narration speaking it? You could see it, you know, but it's... You know it's why? A, because uh, maybe the majority of American audiences are really replicants, and they're still <laughs> developing their emotional sense of being, you know? That's I it. mean, it's possible. It was the Voight-Comp test. It was the original <laughs> one. Yeah. The ultimate Voight-Comp test, yes. Not the other thing I said earlier off mic. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> that doesn't <Yeah>. exist. <laughs> I was mashing up a couple of things. Give me a break. It Sorry. is a bit of a weird one because it was a modest hit. Like it made 20 or 28 million to make it. It made about 42 worldwide. But I think some people at the time kind of saw it as a disappointment. And it's kind of weird because Harrison Ford has just done Empire Strikes Back and started the Indiana Jones films with Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then he does this. And then he goes back and does... Return of the Jedi and Temple of Doom right after this. So like this five movie stretch, these are all iconic legendary films that Harrison Ford does all in a row. So I still don't understand. And yeah, that's, I mean, writing off of that, coming off of that, I still don't understand why it wasn't as much of 
a hit as it right. really should have been. the pacing, you know? I mean, that slow film noir pacing kind of yeah, vibe Yeah, it's of not it. for everybody. Um, but mean. it's, watching it, it's like a painting in a way. I think like, it was ahead of its time, too. Thing, you're, just all of it, the... the the set direction on this right. stuff is ridiculous. Let's, the, let's look the at miniatures. Let's and... look at who's directing. It's Ridley Scott. Sure, Ridley sure. Scott had already blown everybody's minds a few years earlier with Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we, you know, it had been Plan 9 from Outer Space and The Day the Earth Stood Still. And that, sure. was, that was people's ideal of an alien. Yeah. And then he does those xenomorphs and it just freaks everybody the hell out. And it was, may, you know, it was maybe a little bit ahead of its time too. But it's just the brilliant Ridley Scott. I wonder Scott. also if... Because my understanding is that Ridley Scott's older brother had passed mm-hmm. before this film, but Ridley Scott was set to direct Dune. And so when his brother died, he pulled out from that. And although I don't know all the details, he ended up directing Blade Runner. And it's really dark, if you think about it. It's really dark. You have this neo-noir, highly dystopian I mean, even that first scene with Leon is so uncomfortable and it's so heavy and he, you almost feel like you're getting bullied, Yeah, you know, during the... He's this. taking the Voight-Kampf test at the beginning. Right. And right. he's so nervous and, and he's like a caged animal. Like, yeah. you know, you see, well, I don't know if everybody sees these videos, but every once in a while, you know, I'm thinking I'm not going to eat meat anymore. And so I'll watch a film or a video and I'm like, look at these animals. They know that they're going to die. And that's what he reminds me of just seeing him. It's like, he is just so frightened and yeah, scared. The great Bra- Brian James yeah. is that guy's name. He's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. He was always a bad guy or he a was. henchman. He was. Like in all the movies he was in, he always, whether Tango and Cash and all these other movies, right. he was always the bad guy or the henchman. But uh, Brian James is great before he pulls the gun out and kills his interviewer. Yeah, well, you know. (laughs) So essentially what's happened here is there's, uh, it's 2019. It takes place in Los Angeles. Now there has been a war that has taken place. Apparently, they never really come out and say it, but everything is very Asian culture and there's a lot of Asian signs. So it would Mm -hmm. seem like the USA and Japan got into something. And even the languages that people are speaking on the street is a mix match of everything. It's like a pigeon. Yeah. Yeah, It's Spanish. It's Japanese. It's English. They're just throwing everything in there. So it's in this world where that has happened. And apparently something bad has happened to the environment, too, because there are no longer eco wars. There's no animals. Right. I mean, there's no more animals. All the animals we see in this film are replicants. Right. So that has also taken place. So this is the scenario that we're living in. Yeah. So. And it's interesting because Tim and I are big fans of. L.A. I mean, we love L.A. We'll take the train up. We'll driving up is ugh, a pain. <laughs> but you know, once we get there, it's you know, the, especially in the opening scene. You know, Union Station. Union Station, yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful station. But to see it in the opening scene, you're like, oh my god, yeah. this is so so heavy. But yeah, going back to your point, it's like, you know, I would have thought Spanish probably would have been. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. Would have right. been the dominant language. Well, and considering but... that Japanese seems to be the language, I think they won the war. I mean, oh. and their signs are everywhere. So, and the geisha girls are all over the yeah, yeah. screens. I'm like, whatever conflict happened, they won. That's kind of interesting because um, Philip going to Philip K. Dick, which you know the the the, the movie is based on, um, to Andrew's dream of electric sheep. But even before that, the man in the high castle. That is kind of the premise. Like, what would have happened if, like, Germany and, like, Japan would have won, right? And so right. the U.S. is, like, split, right? So it's interesting. I think maybe maybe that worked its way into the movie. I don't know. But it does, their representation of Los Angeles, you know, it's not bright and sunny. It's raining constantly, constantly. Nope. But, uh, you know, the density and, I mean, you can't stop like you're constantly being bombarded by visuals, the digital signage and everything like that, that it makes it really, it's kind of disorienting mm-hmm. to a certain effect. And, and it is dystopian. It's really dark. And it seems like, yeah, do I want to live here? Very depressing. <laughs> I mean, I love LA, but wait, oh, there's Union Station. No, it's all good. It's all good. I've I recognize just went through that second pieces. street tunnel recently that they drive through with a tile tunnel. We've walked through that. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's amazing. It's graffiti now. But. It's, it's kind of sketchy. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> but know? once you get to the, um, you know, what's the big market uh, that's on the on the other side of the tunnel, um, you know, it's amazing. Um, 
but well yeah. worth it. The cyberpunk influence. Yes. Uh, it's just undeniable. When you watch that final cut, it just... Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not even surprised that this is in the canon of all the you know, cyberpunk kids, that they worship this movie. Everything, yeah. Right. It's like ground yeah, zero. Visually, it's like, yeah, this is your, like your Bible. Like, yeah. It's perfect in that regard. Sid Mead was the visual futurist, I think is his name. Yeah, that was his title, was the visual, visual futurist. futurist. And he's the guy that just did all these things. He did... um you know, some of the stuff for Time Cop and the original Star Trek film and Short Circuit. He developed Johnny Five. Like, but he was the guy that was responsible for a lot of the designs in this. And he did Tron as well. And and I believe Amazing. that he was only hired to come in and do a couple of, you know, some work. But then he ended up just staying. And I think that's when Warner Brothers kind of stepped in and was like, yeah, you're going to need a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. well, we love these guys that, that are like the production designers that work in these miniatures uh lawrence g paul is the guy in charge of that on this one and uh he did he went on to do back to the future and stuff like that i mean he was a talented guy too but you know like on escape from new york we talked about how much we love the small sets yeah. and, and some of them ended up on the blade runner set they reused them and oh. painted them and you know but uh, all that's miniatures. Every time they go to the Tyrell Tower and yeah. the little elevators going up the side and everything, all of it's miniatures. And the matte painting, just the way right. that they, before digital technology, the way that they did it. And yeah, it's well, ridiculous. Was... It's so believable. It's so immersive. Oh, the smokestacks uh, coming in. So after you you read this, the text on the screen, which is also kind of, you know, from my perspective, kind of biblical, right? Is when you look at uh, Bibles, so mm -hmm. to speak, Anytime that like God or there's a reference to God, the font color is in red, which is, I don't know if it's related or not, but anyway, it's a nice short syn synopsis, but then they're flying over LA and the spinners, right? Uh -huh. And the spinner. And like, you see the smokestacks just like, like yeah, lighting releasing up. methane or whatever. Yeah. And the fire. Right. And, and yeah. the fire. But I think it's also like, I mean, <laughs> look at all the environmental issues that we're dealing with right now. It's, I hope it doesn't get to that point, but um, L.A. is very industrialized, you know, and it always has been high density uh, and high diversity, but it's almost like on overdrive, like visually, like it's just dark. Um, I don't yeah. know. And then they have the eye right at the beginning. Sure. Which you think, OK, whose eye is that? Like right. what is actually happening are which is they, it's a recurring theme, right? In the test itself. Right. It's like, I mean, you're looking at the pupils dilate. I, I don't know the what they're actually moving. looking at. That's how he figures right. out if you're lying or if you're a replicant. I couldn't figure exactly. out the little bellow thing, but it somehow relates to things that a person would admit and it could pick up on the sweat or the essence of something. That, right. So that like was a trippy, right. light the, detector. The, the, maybe you're breathing. You're, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Let's just detect if you're a replicant or it's a real human right. response. But whose eye is that? I don't know. Is that you looking at the city or mm. is it the city looking at you? I mean, or who's looking at you? I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Tyrell. Perhaps. Well, <laughs> let, let's get music nerd on this. It's also propelled by that Van Gellis soundtrack. Van Gellis. No, just kidding. We talked about this earlier. <laughs> yeah. So we're just going to go with both, both. pronunciations. Because yeah, sure. growing up on the radio, whenever he had Chariots of Fire, that hit, it, right. er, everyone pronounced it Vangelis. I right. heard that all through my childhood. Yeah. And then I'm watching the director's You're telling commentary. You're me it's not Vangelis? Well, because I'm watching the director's commentary so. and Ridley <laughs> Scott is talking about Vangelis. Vangelis. Right. So I'm like, you know what? I think they're both okay. You know who we're talking about. This soundtrack is insane. It's so good. It's ambient. It has jazz. There's all kinds of saxophones in it. It has Middle Eastern singing. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. even the song about, you know, Kiss You My Dear or whatever it was. Right. Like it's it's so great. And Pitchfork does their lists all the time of the greatest whatevers. They did the top uh like hundred soundtracks of all time. It was number one. Hmm. Like it wasn't down the list. It, hmm. They named it number one best original score ever. And they never released it properly until much until later. The 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Like there you was, couldn't get it like when the film was. Yeah, there were some issues with some it. of the music, and Vangelis disagreed with the studio on some of the stuff, and it just never got released. And then comes the 90s, and the fans are clamoring, and all these different prints are starting to come out. And at that point, it's like, hey, we got to have that soundtrack. That's That thing's fire. <laughs> and so I think that all of the instruments were, you know, were digital, were 
except for the piano, which I think was the only analog instrument in that. But it's kind of interesting, you know, thinking that the movie is all about artificial, (laughs) right? you know, uh, synthetics or artificial intelligence, things like that, um, that the music itself accompanies that. But it feels so lush and so ethereal and it's so beautiful. I mean, it makes me cry. There are several scenes in there where like the music is so perfect that it just envelops you. Rachel's you music. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Rachel specifically. Oh my gosh. It pulls yes. up my heart. I mean, it does. It, it does. And, 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 and seeing it this time, I had never paid attention to her character as much when I was a kid and rewatching it this time. I'm just, I'm, my heart is going out to her the whole time. You feel I, for her. I yeah. feel for her. Cause she's a replicant who doesn't know she's a replicant and you can, every scene she's in, you can see her. She's trying to come to grips with this. Yeah. Right. And, and then she's trying to come to grips with these human emotions. She's suddenly involved with this Deckard guy who's sent to kill her, frankly. Yeah. Right. And that would be pretty hard for someone to real, you know, to come to grips with. Well, and to add to that too, speaking of Rachel, who is, oh my gosh, it, it just from on a very visceral level, so beautiful. I yes. mean, everybody in this movie really, it, that's the thing, the juxtaposition between, even though you're in this dystopian, like visually dystopian like environment, everything is so beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because you're forced to see the beauty. Okay, it's like, I think as human beings, we, we seek out, it's almost like hope in a way, right? But you see her in this movie and once she starts to get an understanding of, because at first when she comes on, you know, Tyrell's like, well, why don't you perform the test on Rachel? Yeah. And she's super smug. She kind of smirks, too. You know, she gives, a, gives him the look and is like, yeah, why don't you try that? And we kind of know right away before she even has the test that she's a replicant because we can see the red in her eyes. The same red we just saw in the owl's eyes. Exactly. And that scene, I don't know, maybe we should go back to that scene. It, it, but OK, so I'll stick to this one just because <laughs> start talking about, it's about Rachel. But she starts off really smug and she's answering all these questions, you know, no problem. I've got this. And then at a certain point, I think she realizes that, wow, maybe I'm not who I think I am or who I'm supposed to be. And you see that vulnerability and you feel like it's devastating, you know, to be, to feel like all of a sudden, like, you, in a way, like you've been lied to, like, Absolutely. you're, who are you? Who am mm-hmm. I? That is devastating. <laughs> sure. And it's also an Android, well, not an Android, but there, she's a replicant. And the, you know, the whole, right. there's a whole one of the underlying themes here is do they feel emotions? Cause that's one of the ways they test them to find out if they can keep them in, you know, it, right. you know their tests is do we're going to find out. Do you flip the turtle over? Yeah. Do you flip mm-hmm. the turtle over? And it's so if you have empathy, then you're human which comes in at the ending with Rucker Hauer and Harrison Ford, exactly. but we'll get to that exactly. a little later. But exactly. um, the, the, the outfits that oh, Sean yes. Young is wearing, those are, so though they found those in the wardrobe at the studio. Those are Greta Garbo's you know, outfits. No wonder. Wow. No wonder Very she looks so badass. Beautiful. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. And they pulled those out of the, you know, the wardrobe and the guy was like, to Ridley was like, oh my God, I got some of Greta Garbo shit. And wow. he's like, throw it on Sean Young. Like, <laughs> and they, they did it. She looks amazing in this movie. But like you said, everyone looks great. Yeah. Joanna Cassidy is very beautiful. Daryl Hannah, of course, is the beginning of her career. Rucker Howard's just. Oh, he's beautiful. Good I mean, badass. honestly, he's just, beautiful. A yeah. perfect Aryan. <laughs> oh, he's just Dutch beautiful. Oh. Yeah. He's just, especially at the end when he, you know, you could really see at the end how once he ditches the overcoat and he's in the, he's in his little bike shorts and stuff running around chasing Harrison Ford. You could really see how jacked he is then. Like, and Gaff has a beauty in his eyes. Like if you see like, because you're kind of like thrown off and he's kind of, um, I don't know the, the way that he dresses is a little, even though everything is dark and drab, but that, that trench coat that he has is a little ostentatious. And then he has some bling in his eyes, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't help but look. So I wonder if that's intentional on, you know, because everybody else's eyes are, they're dark yeah. or they're dimmed. You know, he, Rucker you know, Howard's aren't. He's an essential character, low key. Like he is, especially if you start going into the theories about the movie, he really plays an part in some of the important theories you'll read about that Definitely. people have about the film. He plays a heavy hand in a lot of those, but he, like we said, he speaks different languages. It's kind of a pigeon language kind of thing. He's speaking like, speaking like a hybrid of 
Japanese, Spanish, and German or something. Right. Right. He acts like he can't speak English. Yeah. And then right there at the end, after the whole Roy Batty thing ends with Deckard, he flies down, lands on it, and then he starts talking in English, and he just kind of, you know, the gig's up. I, you know, I knew all along I could talk English. But he's a really fascinating character. So are you going to talk about the origami figures? Yeah, let's are do we it. Talk We're talking about, about Gaff. Let's go into <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so there's two theories on Gaff here. There's one is, is that Deckard is a human who passed him by and got the promotion because he's better at the job. And basically those origami sculptures which we get let's see we get the chicken at the beginning right when he's offering when bryant is offering deckard the job gaff is there and he's yeah. basically calling him chicken and sets out a chicken origami right, right. when they go to leon's place to see try to find him and he's not there he leaves a heart on he leaves a little yeah, man with he a heart on. stick figure with yeah <laughs> And then there at the end, he leaves the unicorn. Right. So it's up to you, you know, to what you think those are going to mean. Um, the call, he's basically calling him out on the Rachel thing with the little erection man. Like he probably knows that that's something's, you know, going to happen there or sure. is happening there. The unicorn theory. Now, what's your one on that? Is he leaving that unicorn because he think because he's saying to Deckard, Rachel is the unicorn and you have her and I'm letting you go. Or is he leaving that unicorn there because he knows that Deckard is a replicant and you are the unicorn. It's not, it's you and Rachel. So those are two, theories. two theories. And the, the, um, I hadn't even considered the one about like, Oh, you know, you've got the unicorn because it is true. She's an anomaly, right? Within. She can't die in four years. Exactly. She could live as long yeah. as she wants. So she is a unicorn to a certain mm -hmm. extent, right? Absolutely. Um, I hadn't even considered that, but that's definitely got me thinking now. And, and the other one is, yeah, how did he know that Deckard was having these quote unquote memories or these dreams of the unicorn only if he knew that he was a replicant, right? Right. So there's a whole gaff theory is what they call it. And it's, it's, it's pretty great. Um, Deckard is a replicant implanted with the memories of gaff. Gaff was the real top Blade Runner, but was sidelined due to injury. And that's why you see him with the cane. And so Deckard was created to finish the job. This explains why Gaff knows what Deckard is thinking all the time. It's, it's why he taunts him with the origami figures. And the unicorn at the end showing the graph has specific knowledge of Deckard's dream about unicorns. It also explains the disdain that Gaff regards Deckard with. It's I could totally see all of that because remember the one scene where he tells him you've done a man's job, sir. Right at the end. Uh-huh. When Batty when <laughs> so here's the deal, right there at the end. When the whole thing is going down with Batty and Deckard on the on the top there, if you look closely in the background, you could see a hovering police unit there. Yep. It's Gaff. It's Gaff. He's not getting involved. He's just letting it play out. And that's the one that really makes me believe in the theory that he already knows everything. And that line seals it when he gets off and he says, you've done a man's job, sir. That's, and he doesn't kill. And then, you know, Deckard goes back to right. his house to get Rachel and finds out that Gaff has been there. Right. And he did not kill her, which he is surprised to find that out. Right. I think we as a viewer are surprised because she's on the list. She's gone AWOL and they, you know, they've thrown her in with the original four that they're searching for. But we have that weird ending where it's it's kind of up to you, you know. And I mean, 2049 addresses it, you know, that Rachel and him left and they uh, had a baby eventually, mm -hmm. a girl. And she works in, you know, replicant stuff. And they pop up in 2049. Now, the whole thing about whether Deckard is actually a replicant, they just, they play ambiguously with that one in 2049 too. They never really come out right and say it, but, you know. There are those theories. Sure. So with that in mind, <laughs> yeah. is Deckard a replicant? Yes. You believe he is? <laughs> do uh, do replicant. replicants eat? Yeah. They eat food? Yeah. yeah. I think the hardest one for me was the procreating thing. When they said that he had a baby with Rachel. That's kind of where I was like, what? Like, does she, so she has a menstrual cycle? Like, and, right. And if he's a replicant, he has sperm? Like, I'm just, I'm trying to put my, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out the whole thing there, but. Don't work yourself out too well, hard I'm, over. I think about these things. And with that, can we go into the religious aspects of that? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring the fire and brimstone. Sure, let's talk about this. Let's do it. I, I mean, 
there for me again like being raised catholic but um i see so many references right uh you know we talked about stigmata you know when um roy is he's dying yes he doesn't want to die oh, oh my gosh and as as a kid watching that i'm like he doesn't want to die he wants to feel pain <laughs> you know yeah. he's trying mm -hmm. to wake up his hand you know so to speak um but the stigmata right which is like and and it is in i forget if it's the right or the left hand the right hand okay it's the right hand but you know this is where when christ was nailed on the cross there are five points right or what is it the, the feet and the hands and then he, he had the crown of thorns or whatnot but typically it's the other the main appendages so there's that but if you think about it like towards the end roy also is like he's stripped down like he's got these like you know he's looking good yeah. <laughs> he's got boxer shorts on right so to speak but i mean it's almost like a loincloth really and i mean are we talking about the end already it's Should all form fitting yeah, it's let's all go. so you know in a way like he's at that point he's toying it's like a cat and mouse game mm -hmm. he's toying with deckard I don't think he has any intention of killing him. He is actually, it's not even about Deckard at that point. He knows he's dying and he doesn't want to die. Yeah. So he is fully pushing his body. I mean, uh, uh, you know, smashing his head through a wall, like <laughs> he's hurting himself. <laughs> it's quite great a bit. too. <laughs> right. And then towards the end, I don't know where the dove comes from, but you know, hey, it's LA and they have all these, you know, Artificial it wasn't a pigeon, it was a, a dove. Yeah, it was, it was. It was a dove, yeah. And, um, you know, Deckard's chasing him, and he's holding on because he jumps from one side of the building to the other, and he kind of loses it. He doesn't quite make it. And Roy shows up, and you have this scene where it's like, holy shit. Like, Roy's leap. I, oh, <laughs> my. So actually, the, my favorite shot in the movie is the beginning of Roy's leap. When Decker jumps, he misses, he's hanging off the side of the right. other building, and we see Roy Batty stand up, and behind him you have a backlit with fans spinning, he's got the dove in his hand, mm -hmm. it's my favorite shot in the movie, and he's staring down Deckard, and he's chasing him, and you know, I've got him. It's like a cat <laughs> yeah. with a mouse, he knows he's True. got him now, and I just visually, I just, ah, oh, that shot just... I love it. And then he just backs up. He takes this beautiful running leap as he's dying. Let's remember, these are the last moments of his life. Yeah. And he does this beautiful leap with the dove in hand. Yeah. Lands, walks over the edge. And this is kind of the whole moment where the whole thing comes in about, do they feel empathy and do they have feelings? And Deckard is hardcore. These people do not have feelings. These are robots. I've already slain two of them. I've shot them in the back. I mean, he literally has that kind of disdain for him. I'm not even going to turn you around. I'm just killing you. <laughs> and at this point, he's already killed, you know, Batty's love, Pris, Daryl Hannah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're thinking he's going to end him right here. He's going to end Deckard. And Deckard's thinking it too. And he, when his hand releases and he saves him, fuck, that's beautiful. And, it's just beautiful. And isn't it ironic that Deckard's mission in this is to retire all of these replicants and like you said he doesn't even think twice about i think when he kills zora you see the look on his face and he starts to like think which by yeah. the way gaff gaff is always there yeah <laughs> he kills right um but when he kills zora like you can kind of see like his face is a little bit contorted and whatnot. and obviously like since then like after that it's like um, you know, with Rachel and whatnot, you can see like his emotions are kind of, he starts switching because even yeah. before that he references Rachel as it, doesn't it know what it is? And right. then all of a sudden it changes, it changes. Right? right. But at that moment, you know, you're just thinking Roy would have every right, even from an objective perspective, remove all, all emotion aside to say, Hey, this person did this and therefore this is the result a plus b equals c mm -hmm. and in an objective manner therefore i'll terminate him yep you know or retire him 
I think even some of us would do that. If somebody killed someone I love, I'd let them fall. I wouldn't save them. Oh, yeah. Sure. But in that moment, Roy is like, no, I'm going to show this person who thinks that I'm not capable of humanity because I am this robot, android, whatever. I'm going to show him by saving his life. And that's why you see Harrison Ford laying there on the ground, just staring at him as he does the tears in the rain speech, because it's, the, you know, he has the inkling uh, with, you know, when he kills uh, the snake lady out the Zora. street. Zora, right. yeah. He, that's, that is the first Joanna time we Cassidy. see him show sure, some, Joanna Joanna Cassidy. Cassidy. That is the first time we see him show some kind of remorse. But that is really the time his mind is blown when he's right. saved by Batty and he's staring at him as he gives the beautiful tears in the rain speech. And it's amazing. It comes full circle right there. Like, it's fascinating. I mean, that probably makes him decide that he's okay to go with Rachel too. In a way, like he's he, probably conflicted about that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah and her, at that uh, moment, he's like, "I'm going to save her because these these things, these replicants, they are capable of a human emotions and growth." And he suddenly realizes that. And so, any love, you know, any questions he had about Rachel, they're out the window the, at that right, point. I'm like, answer. "I'm going to go get her and save her." Yeah. Like. Because she's worth it. But know? I felt like Gaff was on his tail. I, I just felt like with the origami, that was like... Well, that's what leads little, into the Gaff theory. Tease, he was controlling know? everything all along. Because he was injured and couldn't do the stuff that, that you know, Deckard could do physically. Even though, the, I, the, I had a question about that too, because Deckard gets his ass kicked all through this movie. Sure, like, yeah. If so. he was a really next level Nexus 7 replicant yeah. or something... Wouldn't he? Wouldn't they put strength and shit in there? I mean, he gets his ass kicked, but he doesn't die. You no, know, he no. <laughs> takes some pretty, pretty brutal beat beatings. Yeah, not um, as bad as uh, Tyrell and his sure. eyes being crushed into his brain. Which, speaking of Tyrell, and it ties in to that scene um, with Roy, you know, holding on to the dove and letting Deckard live. At that point. Who's really more godlike? <laughs> I mean, it, God sacrificed himself, right? Mm -hmm. For, quote unquote, all of us. Yeah. Whatever you, symbolically speaking. Um, and Tyrell, who was really, in a way, who, who Roy saw as his father, and in a way as God, because remember... It's the maker. Yes, he's the maker, and he's... <laughs> Where he resides is this pyramid, which, so there's, there's two things. So the pyramid, it, there's Egyptian pyramids, which were really tombs, right? And it was a way for you to get closer to God. And churches do the same thing, by the way. The higher they are, the, the taller they are, the closer you are to God, right? But then the interior of Deckard's apartment is a very much uh, Mayan temple, pyramid. Like if you look at, at the design on the interior, which, and then you have the owl, right? Mm -hmm. Which is very symbolic. You know, usually it's like a, a bad omen or it means you're transcending into another part of life. Um, and so Tyrell is, Roy sees him as God, his father, the maker, right? But who, who's really God? I mean, at the end, who acts more like God? I mean, Roy lets Deckard live. Right. And he knows he's dying. And he tells him, I've seen, yeah. I, I can't quote the exact line, but, you know, all of these wars as he's participated. And then like something as simple as like, you know, tears, like tears washed away in the rain. It's almost like meditate, meditation, you know, yeah. it's like being present, being mindful and being like at that moment, he's like, you don't even know. You don't even appreciate what you see on a day-to-day -day basis, but he does. Roy yeah. does. And he reminds him of that as he's dying yeah, and he lets says, him live. I've seen things with these eyes that you humans cannot comprehend. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, And that's just, he's just kicking knowledge to him right there at the end. He knows he's dying. He's already saved his life. And now he's going to just drop wisdom on him. I mean, <laughs> it, right there at the end, it makes you absolutely love Roy Batty. God. Not mm -hmm. like I didn't love him already the whole yeah. movie. Right. I mean, because basically it's, it's four replicants who cause havoc out in space. And they know that they have a 40-year time lifetime and they're getting back to earth and they're going to try to raid Tyrell to save themselves and make him you sure. know, reprogram them. That's the crux of the whole movie. And then we're seeing him chase them down Deckard. But 
And they get there. They they, they do meet get the there. maker, but the maker yeah. can't do anything. And we for meet him. a couple of the other guys along the way. Uh, we have William Sanderson, who is JF Sebastian. Oh right. His house right. where Pris comes and meets him, Daryl Hannah. He is a you know he's a he's a replicant. He makes them. He has these odd little things walking around his house. He has a little soldier guy. They don't a, speak. They, they don't, don't speak. Anything, he has they're... that little Napoleon bear. Uh -huh. <laughs> like if you look in the background, there's a unicorn even in there. Yep. Oh, there's a straight up robot unicorn, unicorn in there. But um, there's all those little odd things walking around. If you were a fan of the show New Heart back in the 80s, that my guy My brother would, Daryl and my yeah, other brother Larry. Daryl. <laughs> that's my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. That's Larry. That's the guy oh, from New Heart. Guy. Yeah, he's so, so good. good. And also we get to meet James Hong. The right. great James Hong. I love James Hong. 450-something credits. Wow. I mean, what an actor. I mean, he blew our minds last year and everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, he was yeah. just, oh, that movie was amazing. He was so wonderful. But just watching him a lot growing up and he was in Big Trouble in Little China and he taught Booger to smoke weed in Revenge of the Nerds <laughs> 2. And he was just always... He shaped my life growing up. <laughs> he, was, he was the older Asian actor of note. If you were in Hollywood, you just went and got James Hong. He was just that guy. The token. Yeah, and he's here and he's he's got one scene and he's terrific. He's absolutely amazing. <laughs> And Every scene in this movie is I, amazing. I think that was an actual cold room. So Probably so. There, I, you can see their breaths. So, yeah. and then we also have M. Emmett Walsh in there, just one right. of the great character actors of all time. He's Deckard's boss, Bryant. Um, a couple years after this, you know, he spent his whole career playing characters. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh did, and you just see him pop up in movies and best yeah. of times or back to school or whatever. Yeah. But two years after this movie, he, the Coen brothers, very first movie, Blood Simple comes out. It's a great movie. It is terrific. You really get to see how amazing M.M. Walsh is when he's given a leading role. He's a terrific actor. And uh, he's just, this cast is stacked. Uh, it's stacked. It's really interesting too, because, you know, we haven't touched upon this yet, but like talking about it, living in fear is also, you know, they are, in essence, they're slaves. Mm -hmm. They're sent here to do our dirty work. And then also, I know I'm totally switching, but all these thoughts are going through my head because I'm getting the visuals and all these different actors and whatnot. It, just being in L.A. itself is like, we as a country have always welcomed immigrants as long as they served a purpose during the wars and whatnot. And then when we didn't see a need for them anymore, we kicked them out and we didn't want them here anymore. And Emmett Walsh, he's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's racist, right? I mean, right. he's sitting there, he calls them skin jobs, right. you know? So we, it's like, the more that I think about it, it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know? Yeah, that guy's so in anyway, government right now, sadly. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. I love the product placement throughout the film. Yeah, Coca the only Coca Atari. Schlitz. Vaughn would love that. Pan Am. Sing Tao. Right. I think, I think Pan Am and Atari are the only two that aren't still kind of a thing. Cuisinart <laughs> is in there, I, I read. Cuisinart well. is in there quite a and bit. And a couple of the companies suffered some backlash from that. But but they were also pointing out the commercialization of where yeah. we were headed. That Exactly. You're just not going to be able to walk anywhere without seeing an advertisement. No. Boy, did that come true. Oh, I mean. my gosh. Well, FaceTime is reflected in there. Yeah, I there's mean, a video phone. It's like, yeah. Yeah, instead of pay phones, you know, like we would I use mean, in the old school days, there's video phones on yeah. the street that you can see in the background. They definitely the mixture of that. modern and retro with it all is right. just phenomenal. That house is well, is famous too. That is his apartment, uh, the Ennis the house, house yeah. which you can, Frank you can see up in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And with that's the, an with example. The hieroglyphic like designs. Right, on that's it. an example of Mayan revival architecture. Right. That's Frank Lloyd Wright, which is, I think it's by Los Feliz or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. I remember, yeah, uh, by Franklin which is or something. I've driven past it before. Yeah. Beautiful. I think you can tour it. I want to tour it. So uh, <laughs> tell me. What's the happy ending? So the, the final cut I watched, they, they find the origami, they go in the elevator And together, that's where it cuts off. That one cuts off, one cuts something... off right there and it goes to black and it just has the credits. Yeah. Now the old school 82 one that was at theaters, they the elevator shuts and then it cuts to them in a car. Okay. And he's with Rachel and they're doing a voiceover. And then as the credits roll, 
Here's here's some cheap shit. As the credits roll, it's not black. It's like this drone flying over all these mountains. And you know what that footage is from? The Shining. It's Stanley Kubrick's footage. Yeah. The studio yeah. took the Shining the footage. Extra, like extra, extra stuff. stuff from yeah. the entrance of The Shining when he's driving to yep. the Overlook Hotel. And the bug. Yep. So that's the happy ending. They took that footage and slapped it in there and called it the happy ending. Yeah. I don't know. And the unicorn wasn't in the original? No, it is. So the, the dream sequence? Uh, yeah, I don't think the unicorn dream sequence is in that one. No. But the unicorn origami at the end definitely is. And then the violent scenes that they cut out, is that in the final cut that we yes. that I would have watched? It was actually? not in that original theatrical one, so the like U.S. So his one. eyeballs being None crushed into his in brain there. was yeah. not in there? It's That's very subtle. <laughs> the run times are pretty similar on yeah, all the cuts. It's minutes. It's just little, a little bit of the violence is what was changed. And then the narrative and then that ending where they show him in the car. Harrison Ford fucking hated the narration. Yes. Hated it. Fought tooth and nail to Ridley do Scott it. Scott hated it too. Yeah. And they did not get along on the set either. No, they made up in recent years. Yeah. But yeah, they did not. Well, I mean, they're just both young badasses. I mean, I'm not surprised they got yeah. it. They're both There's alphas. There's going to be Yeah, Harrison now. Ford is suddenly the biggest star in the world in that moment. He's just coming off Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was enormous. Yeah. And Ridley Scott's like, yo, bro, I just directed Alien. Like, I, I got some juice, too. Like, so, yeah, I mean, I could see why they butt heads. And it could have been, what, we're talking, John Travolta was mm-hmm. suggested by the by the movie company, no. as well as... Hoffman? Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. And I think Bunch of people. Dustin Conan, or, uh, yeah. Conan O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really? a whole different Blade Runner. <laughs> I, was going, I was going on Conan the, the Barbarian. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, was even. But any of that. Like, it's all, it shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's always kind of interesting. I believe to Harrison about. Ford signed on. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, but you're good. I think Harrison Ford signed on based on the notes that Dustin Hoffman had yeah. included when he was contemplating. And working with Ridley Scott. So they had value, but yeah, in the end. And Philip K. Dick hated most things that were going on until the until the final cut. What was he? He, he only got to see part of it before passing. He died right before, didn't I think, he? I think he saw like some special effects reel, and I think he was finally happy before passing that it was going to be a vision that he... He hoped for. He could sign off. On yeah, yeah. It wasn't like Stephen King hating every version of his of his books. Yeah. Except for Stand By Me, I guess. <laughs> Famously hated The Shining. I can't even believe that. But <laughs> how could you hate that movie? But this film opened the doors for so many things. Cyberpunk comes out of this. I mean, they're, the visuals that continue in video games. and, and I just, think ambient music gets yeah, a big push out yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, for well, sure. I mean, Vangelis just set the prototype for so many. Had he no written so music for airports yet at that point, probably? I he had know. done some Greek films and stuff like that, but he, uh, he had just done Chariots of Fire before this, and that right. was when he blew up. He won the Academy Award. He got a number one single in America, and that was when we were trying to figure out if it was Vangelis or Vangelis. <laughs> he, <laughs> suddenly, we knew who this guy was, and we couldn't pronounce his name. But uh, Vangelis yeah. sounds better. The influences are just... Just right there, they're obvious. Well, 1982, ahead of its time, thinking of watching this film in 82, where 2019 looked a long way away, and now we're well past it. And it, we thankful, don't have f- thankfully, society's not like the movie. We don't have flying cars yet, but... <laughs> oh, we do, actually. It's, we're screwing the environment like the movie, that's for yeah, sure. I think I saw a spinner at the CES convention that just happened that's going nice. to be coming out. <laughs> Literally. They kind of like look that. like DeLoreans to me, so I don't <laughs> yeah. know. If they do. Was, I guess do. they have... Some of those spinners still on display at some places in, in America. The Walt Disney World Studios had one, possibly. And Car shows. Somewhere else, yeah. Yeah, I could see stuff like that. All pretty, right. Pretty we're amazing. Yeah. 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 But we didn't really tell everybody who you are. <laughs> who? I mean, people know who you are, I think. But <laughs> She's our queen, so we just necessary for so many years. And currently, Scary Pierre is your band. But, of course, I... Did you have another band before since in 77? Were there other bands you I did. I Tell had us about your musical uh, career Madly and Black yeah. Hondo. Yeah, yeah. Um, Black Hondo was the, the first band that I started playing it. But before that, I was also in church choir. So, you know. But since in 77 was your first <laughs> local band uh, that you were a part se- of? Well, since in 77 was the first local band that I was a part of. And that's when, oh my goodness, um, Stoney. Yeah, uh, who currently yeah. just toured uh, 
He You're played with Deadbolt. Deadbolt. Yeah. That's right. Um, hello to Stony. He was he was the best human to possibly like to ever be in a band with. Amazing, uh, talented human being. And Candy Johnson was yeah. also in the band. She was the lead singer. I played, quote unquote, played, you know, keyboards. Keyboards. Um, and Eric Mitchell was the drummer. And, you know, we had a, a couple of uh, different folks that kind of like played. Um, Super in the fun band. band. Too, I came have and the privilege went. of seeing that band many times. Yeah. Super so fun. Probably at that, was that fun. mirror, that Diabolic or one of the stores here. Oh, now. that's right. Um, that was an amazing, amazing shop. Yeah. Since we're celebrating the 35th anniversary right. of the Casbah, do you have a favorite memory of any shows or or shows you played even or shows you've seen? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, actually. And it was with uh, playing with Sin Sin 77 and it was a Halloween show and it was downtown at the Westin, but it was put on by the Casbah. And uh, we all dressed up as cast members of Barbarella, the movie. Nice. <laughs> and that's when my mom was still around and she actually made my outfit for me. And I was, and she had so much fun that I had even more fun when we played. And yeah, it was Toulouse-Lautrec uh, uh, played and my, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of who was headlining at the time. I can't, I'm drawing a blank, but anyway good one so yeah, um, yeah. Awesome. So that is one of my yeah and scary pierre and scary pierre. i have yeah. a great memory related to black hondo okay i had just started i wasn't here very long i'd only been here a short time but i remember i'm working the side stage door and i'm sitting right by the stage and you are up on stage singing and mr mays is sitting right out there at a table and he's just <laughs> looking at you like a puppy dog like Aww. he's just he's spitting <laughs> i swear to god i'm sitting there and i'm looking at, at tim and i'm like man if i didn't know any better i think he kind of had a thing for her oh thank and you then, for and then that same night you guys walk out the door together and walk up the street and i was like you just yes. called him out man look at that I, I was thinking it, and then right in front of my eyes it happened and then he's you guys here, off, just, off mic but he's here yeah he's here watching us right now yes. but you guys have been together ever since then yeah and i, I feel so cool because i'm like whoa I witnessed that moment. Like, <laughs> that was really cool. And I'm so happy that oh you, you guys are together thanks, and still kicking thanks it. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's when my brother Tino uh, yep. was a drummer. And mm -hmm. yeah, I would get yeah different feedback. But this one, this one's a nice story. Yeah. So I love yeah. watching you perform because you as an artist, as a, as a front woman, are a commanding presence on stage. And I feel like you're taken over by something. I don't know exactly what it is, but it does remind me. You have like this. Jim Morrison quality sometimes to me and a little bit of Susie. I'm, I'm fascinated by watching you transform because you are much more kind of demure and sweet and nice, but you become this animal on stage. And that's, a, that's real. I, I love watching that. So uh, thank you for that because no, well, you, you just, it's the real deal. Oh, well, so thank see you. Scary Pierre. Do you have any shows coming up? <laughs> I appreciate up? that. Are you on the calendar for the rest of the month? Yeah. I can't believe that. Um, well, they're playing the auto memorial we're playing tonight. playing the yeah, auto right. memorial. Tonight. Um, yeah, and then uh, we'll be playing Harvard and Stone, um, I believe sometime in February up in L.A. Um, oh, cool. So that should be fun. And right now we're really just trying to um, get our recordings mastered so we can put that out on vinyl. So, so yeah. So we're looking forward to helping support Otto's family, you know, 15th this Monday. So, yeah, if it would be lovely if everybody could come out and help support um, our brother <laughs> and yeah. his family. One of the sweetest guys ever. I mean, yes, he's indeed. left a big hole here and we need to. Well, we now have his. How many, how many points are on that deer? Is it a six-pointer? <laughs> we have his deer head to That's honor right. him have and have a head. memorial for him. Yes. As, as we are under the warthog right here. Who's that a memorial for? Somebody, <laughs> somebody reached out to me, and their their grandfather was like an avid wild animal hunter right. and, and had all these crazy ones, and they didn't really care so much for the wild boar. It's not really the most attractive when they have, like, you know, deer and, and bear. And, you know, anyway, they donated it to the Casbah. They said they might want, want it back someday, but I can't even remember who it was now. It's ours now. It's ours, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sideways of the yeah. way he's posted up there. And, and very decorative for Christmas. 
So anything else you want to share about the movie or upcoming stuff with the band? or About the movie, all I can say is if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Watch the final cut. Yeah, you say watch the final cut. I think you like I both say, versions. I say watch them both, but yeah. it really it really depends. But I would definitely now, if if I would have had to do it over, I I don't think I, I would have been none the wiser, you know, and I, yeah. I probably would have just stuck to the final cut. Definitely watch it. For me, it, it planted a seed that has just grown and has never left. And there's more to see. Every time you see the movie, you watch it, there's so much more that you absorb. And it just really, <laughs> anyway, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but it makes me think about life in general and especially, I don't want to seem morbid, but with losing Otto recently and losing close friends, Otis, and, and, and just, you know, life in general, it is precious. So listen to what Roy Batty has to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. You, you know, can, you can forgive and you can have your moment. And, absolutely. And absolutely. Redemption. Yes, absolutely. Redemption, just be right? a good human being. After everything he's seen and terrible things he's done. Exactly. He's going to go out with a pure Don't human, listen to uh, the man. Just be a good human being. <laughs> yeah. You know what's right and what's wrong. Just be good. It feels better than, than, than otherwise, you know? That's all. Well, thanks for spending this time with us and, and talking about a great movie. And Thank you for including me. Hope you enjoyed me. it yourself. I had such a blast. Thank you guys for allowing me to participate in I'm this. I'm happy you got us to rewatch this. Movie. Thank you. I hadn't watched it in like three decades. It had been that long. So uh, rewatching it again now, much like Apocalypse Now, I've just... I really fell in love with it again. Rewatching it, it's just gorgeous. And all the versions, it's fascinating. Like with Little Shop of Horse, I had no idea yeah. that there was this whole other ending. Like, or that thing you do had a whole forty-minute yeah. different version yeah. that was terrific. Let the directors have their vision scene. Yes, that's, let's that's do the it. The main and thing. I'm down for remixes. Let's do this. <laughs> and I want to thank you two for putting the show on. Thank you. Because it, you know, it's something that I'm very much aware of, but. And I think we all are, but when you actually sit down and you have a dialogue about this, you don't realize that things don't go from point A to point Z. They go from point A to point B, C, D, if everything, until they get to Z. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, it's frustrating. You have moments of joy, you have moments of sadness, you have moments where you want to give up. And I'm talking about anything and everything in your life, whether it's a work project or a band or music or any or your family even for that matter relationships but you realize that when you break it down this is life mm -hmm. it's the ups and downs and everything in between and so thank you for <laughs> this is very much on supports that life life we're all about fun and positivity yeah, here that's all absolutely. we want to be is a positive yeah. energy all the time and I dearly want to thank our team because they make this happen. Eric Lucera, we are lost without Eric. you. You are our backstage captain. <laughs> Congratulations um, on the promotion here at the Casbah. Congratulations. Much Yay. Thank you, thank you guys. You have the con, uh, as we would say in Crimson Tide land. Don't thank um, Orion because he didn't show up today. Orion. We love Orion. <laughs> Orion, love you, you missed us today. We're going to slag you a little bit here on air. Dumb, but, dumb. Uh, oh, no. And then... Uh, <laughs> We Emily, missed you. Our social media girl, Emily Schumacher, is terrific at what oh, she does. And we fantastic. want to give a shout out to her, too. So, yeah. And then Tim Mays for letting us do this. He's our Amazing. captain. He's our Uncle Pauly. He's the one that makes it <laughs> 35 happen. 35 years. Uh, this last Friday, Casbah was celebrated in the city of San Diego with another Casbah Day. There are now two days in the year. That's you right. can celebrate Casbah Day, both in January. We suggest you make a weekend of it. Love you, Maisie. <laughs> and get out here in the next few weeks and... and Party with us in the Bronx oh. and Earthless and pin back. And it just, it's its a stacked rest of the month. Excited Amazing to record lineup. Paul Jenkins of Three Mile Pilot will be a guest a show on Ooh. the show soon. Yes. We're going to do Angel Heart with him. Oh, very good. Never seen it. Oh, okay. Well, you're in for yeah, it's something. It's another heavy one. It's like got the devil and sex, so you're you're <laughs> nice. in for something. So it's just like Santa Claus versus the devil. <laughs> no, it's like going to church. You're good. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> you know, I went to the church recently. I went to the Lady yeah. of Guadalupe <laughs> and distributed toys to well, to there you go. Poor children down there. That yeah. was kind of fun. I actually got a little baby. Down in Barrio Logan. The, yeah, down in Barrio oh, Logan. I got from the baby. The Rosca? From the the king cake? Did you get? Yeah, like they a, were doing that. that. It was kind of it was That's very enlightening. I sat in the church for a little while and and heard the priest in Spanish and. Didn't understand a word, but it was it's still a, very beautiful. It's a beautiful church. Yeah. I like being ex 
exposed to other cultures. Which Father Brown, look this up movie Father Brown, shows yeah. the future of culture. It's just going to be a melting pot of everything. Beautiful. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Number one of season two. Number one is in the books with the queen. I mean, how can we do any better? (laughs) What? Okay, I'll take it. I mean, well, (laughs) we are doing Purple Rain next, so I'm not going to say who we're doing it with just yet. Oh, my goodness. We are going to get to some Prince sexiness. Mm. Sexy man. Love that man. Cheers. Talented. Long live Otto. (laughs) Otto forever. Love you, Otto. Tune in next week for another edition of Soundcheck Flakes. Hey, SCF fans, next week we bathe in the waters of Lake Minnetonka with the greatest artist Minneapolis has ever presented, Prince. It's Purple Rain. Tune in then to see who our guest is.